We are going to return to John 11 this morning. Last week, if you remember, the scene is that Jesus has um, left Jerusalem in chapter 9 and 10, or after chapter 10. The Pharisees are wanting to stone him because he's clearly saying that he's the Messiah. He has come in the name of the Lord, and they want to kill him. And then he's up in the Transjordan, and he receives um, news from Mary and Martha that her brother, that their brother Lazarus is sick. And we saw how he came in, how he engaged with that family, and how we saw how as God in human flesh, he was angered because of the ultimate curse of sin. And he had compassion on those who actually brought that sin into the earth, who brought that curse upon themselves. And he had compassion on them. And then he demonstrates his power and authority over death itself, over the curse, by raising Lazarus from the dead. I want to go back to the beginning of this chapter because I think there's some things that God can teach us through this story, through this event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's very real to what we experience every day. How do we deal with suffering? How do we deal with pain? How do we deal with tragedy in light of God's love and compassion and sovereignty in our lives? So let's ask the Lord to teach us what he wants to teach us through his word today. Lord, we are here because you are king and you have brought us into your family. Father, we ask that you would be with us. We invite your Holy Spirit to do his good work in us. To demonstrate your power in very real and tangible ways, just as you did 2,000 years ago with Lazarus. You are the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. We welcome you here to teach us about your character, to display your wonders of your grace. Convict us of our sin. Draw us near to you. And may we be enamored by your majesty and all the ways that you demonstrate your character to us. What we perceive as good and blessings and what we perceive as curses. May we glorify and worship your name. Just as a song said earlier, whatever you bring to us, your will is good. May we have hearts of gratitude and worship as we experience suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read chapter 11, and we'll go from 1 to 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard Yet he said, this illness is not going to lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after he said this, after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea, to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not with him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Read into that, then we don't have to go to Judea to endanger our lives. Now, Jesus uh, had spoken of his death, but they thought that he uh, meant that he was taking a rest or sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. In 2003, Jen and I were in the South Island of New Zealand at a little camp called uh, Camp Waihola. And during the morning, I think it was breakfast, we're eating together uh, with the kids, and I get a, and someone from the kitchen calls or comes out to me and says, Neil, you have a phone call, which is odd. Before we had cell phones, it was a landline. I'm going, that is really odd. And so I went, and it was Jennifer's father who said, um, could you tell Jennifer that last night her brother Mark and his two sons were in an accident. They hit a semi head-on, and Mark has died. And his youngest son has died. And Aaron has been burned severely and is at Children's Hospital in Memphis. One day Mark was with us, and then one day Mark was not. In 2008, Jen and I are sitting in the living room or in the bedroom of uh, her father. And over the course of two or three days, we see him slip away and pass away. During that time, Jennifer, if you've experienced things like that, and sometimes some of you experienced multiple things like that, suffering, tragedy, the shock, almost a surreal feeling, this can't be true. There's a gentleman over at McKinnon Motors uh, last summer about this time. His son, who was a football player at Troy, was driving home. And veered off the road, hit a semi-trailer, and killed instantly. He was coming home for Father's Day. So you can imagine the shock, the pain, the suffering. Jennifer likened it to, uh, at one point she said, I feel like I'm going crazy. All my moorings have been cut, and I feel like I'm going crazy. You perhaps have experienced that. You've experienced other Forms of suffering, whether it's my mother who is experiencing Alzheimer's and you see her slowly slipping away and my father dealing with that. Some of you experience broken marriages and families who have been ripped apart 
because of sin and the curse of sin. So suffering is very real to you. I believe God has something to teach us through this passage about suffering and how we navigate through that. 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved. Think about this now. He is saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Men and women, pain and suffering is is a very real and present reality for each one of us. If you have not experienced it yet, you will. It is just a matter of time. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? What does God tell us? And this, as we read this passage, the image that comes to mind for me personally is if you've ever been a father or mother and you've taken your child when they went, just a very infant, when they don't understand, they're just tiny, and you're taking them to the doctor, whether it's to get inoculations or a, or a shot of some kind, and you're sitting there with them, and the doctor takes them, and the doctor, has, the doctor looks at you and says, hold them down while I give them the shot. Has anybody experienced that? Is that the most, that is awful. I hate it because you're looking into your son or your daughter's eyes, and the doctor's inserting a needle and gives them pain that they probably have never experienced before. And they're looking at your eyes and saying, why aren't you doing something about this? Why aren't you intervening? Papa, Mama, I picture Jesus having that same feeling here. Why do we do that? Because the pain that's endured, the the cure that they're going to experience is greater than the pain they're enduring at the time. And I believe God does that often for us. So, Let's look and see two or three points in here. There's three points that we're going to look. One is this story, this event that was very real, is about God's glory. That is what this is about. It's about God's glory. This event, this story is also about God's great love for Lazarus and Martha, and Mary, and for you and I. And this story was documented so that you and I may believe. Not that our faith would be dim, but that we would believe. So let's look and see what he has to say to us. We see that Jesus gets this this message from a messenger. It probably took a day to get to him saying that, from Mary and Martha, saying that the one whom you love, Phileo, I mean, yes, yeah, the Phileo, it's the brotherly love, your friend, is ill. And then we see a little bit later when Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death, for it is the glory, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Not merely that we would praise Him, but that he would demonstrate, that he would self-disclose his majesty to them in ways that could not happen 
outside of this tragedy. That's what God wants to do here. This story is all about the glory of God. It's not about death. It's about God's glory being being displayed at great cost to Lazarus and his sisters. God does not minimize that. It's at great cost that his glory may be revealed. We see this again in John 9, 1 and 3, when it says when when they pass the blind man and the disciples say, "Who, who sinned, either this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither one. This man was born blind for this very moment that the Son of Man may be glorified. Now, I don't know if about you, I'd be sitting there going, really? Seriously? Tell me, say that one more time, please. Because you picture Abraham called of God to be the father of many nations. I can handle that. That's his purpose. That's what he's been called for. Moses, that he would lead God's people out of Egypt to glorify the name of God and to demonstrate his glory to all the nations around there. I can get that. A prophet, Jeremiah, before the foundations of the earth, before he was born, God knew him and and appointed him, anointed him as prophet. I can get that. But in this very same way, he looks at this man he says, for this purpose, he was born blind. He suffered so that he may glorify my name. He was appointed for this time. That's hard. That's hard. When we look at the suffering that we go through, do we ask the question, Lord, for what purpose have you ordained this suffering to take place in my life? In what way will you glorify your name through this death, through this tragedy, through this pain that I'm going through? How will you glorify and demonstrate your majesty through this time? Am I asking that question? I'm asking the question, God, why me? What are you doing? I'm that infant looking at his face and saying, why aren't you intervening in this? That's what I usually do. And yet God has a greater story that he's trying to tell, that he's trying to demonstrate for a greater good and a greater purpose than I can comprehend. I cannot comprehend it. We read 1 Peter 4.12 a few minutes ago. Let me read the last. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when? What? When His glory is revealed. That's the purpose. That's what He wants to accomplish. And it's hard at times. And there's varying degrees of suffering. God takes us through uncomfortable times so that he can write our story and so that he can tell his story. And it's very encouraging in things that happen. When I think about Mark, my father's death, my father-in-law's death, and I see how God used that 
for two, three, four years later to draw his wife, my mother, my stepmother-in-law, to Christ, and now she praises God's name. I don't know if she does that if Mark doesn't pass away. Because she doesn't get to a point where she knows she needs a Savior until that happens. I look at Aaron. Y'all met Aaron a couple of weeks ago. It was his father that passed away in that, in that auto accident. It's a miracle that Aaron is evil, even alive. He, the, the truck hits the big truck. Goes over to the side. Everyone, everyone's dead. Back windows busted, busted open. Aaron crawls through, burning, and lays down on the ground. God saves him, reaches in and grabs him out of the truck. And he goes through graft after graft after graft. And guess what? About three or four years ago, he brings him to himself. And Aaron is glorifying God's name. He's going to Nepal this summer to glorify God's name, to tell God's story. Our tragedy can either leave us and lead us to bitterness and doubt and anger toward God where we shake our fist at God and say, God, why me? Or it can lead us into the very heart of God to where we know Him and we look at His face and like the Revelation song when we go, worthy, worthy is you, are you, the Lamb who was slain, who was slaughtered. How do we respond to suffering? It's interesting. There was a few. I got to hurry up. Um, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, since the recession, God's taken us through financial issues after financial issues with our business and otherwise. And and through those things, He certainly taught us some lessons along, lessons along the way. And one of the things it's taught us is to be grateful for whatever God has given. And so when God provides in various ways, we usually tell that story to our children. Look what God has done today. Look how he provided today. And one day we're sitting there and, I, and we're, going, we're going to bed. I was putting Bailey to sleep. Not putting her to sleep, putting her to bed. And we're, we're kind of all in there with Bailey. And I said, let me tell you what happened to me at Lowe's today. And I tell this story of God provided something fairly insignificant. But he provided. And Bailey, because she's hearing this over and over again, she says, Ooh, ooh, I got a testimony. And going, okay, tell us your testimony, Bailey. She tells about the provision of the Lord for her as an 11-year-old girl. God wants to tell his story. And oftentimes he does it through suffering. The second thing we want to see here is that God is not alien to their suffering. God is not immune to God is not distant and detached. No, the, the opposite is true. In verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. The word he's using is agape. Agape love is a completely other-centered love. It's all about the person that you're loving. It's not about what they're going to do for you if you love them. It is purely self-sacrificing, other-centered, giving of yourself to the, for the benefit of the other person. That's the word he's using. Okay? So when it says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, 
Then he says this crazy thing. We talked about it last week. And he says, So, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Because he loved them, he stayed two days longer. He could have spoken. He's already demonstrated that. He could have spoken and Lazarus would have been healed immediately. Martha and Mary say that. And yet, he waits. Why does he wait? Because he loves them. Because he wants to reveal something about himself that they can't see otherwise. Now, we need to understand that this is not a man who is above suffering. Jesus was ordained to suffer by the Father. John 10, 17-18, Jesus says of Himself, I am the Good Shepherd. I lay down My life for My sheep. Those are not just words. He knows He's about to lay down His life for them. Philippians 2, 6 and 8 says, Who though He was in the form of God, the very image of God, did not, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most horrible death you could experience in that time. Jesus ran toward it. Ran toward it. Revelations 5.11, we saw it earlier. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Get this in your mind. Worthy is the lamb whose throat was slit, who was slaughtered for you and for me. Jesus was well acquainted with pain and suffering. He was not distant. He was not detached. He was very present. In Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned, every single one of us, to his own way. And the Lord God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That he became very sin. He became our sin so that we might be his righteousness. He's well acquainted with pain and suffering. Why did Jesus suffer? Because it was for you and for me. In Ephesians 1, we know in Ephesians 2, we talked about it last week. In, in, the very part, in the very first part of chapter 2, he says, We are by nature children of wrath. But look what he says about us in, in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who? In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to what? The purpose of his will. 
to the praise of His glorious grace with which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Don't let that pass through without understanding. We have redemption through His blood, through His slaughter. Jesus is well acquainted with suffering. The same God who loves us much is also the one who allows our suffering. In Hebrews 4, 15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect, in every way, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That is, that is the same Jesus who says, I love them, therefore I waited. For a greater purpose. I cause pain because I love them. Why? It's so that, as he says later in that chapter, I'm glad that I was not there so that you might believe. Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there because you might believe. Christ often teaches us through suffering lessons that we cannot get outside of suffering. We just don't get it. I don't learn a whole lot through blessings. I learn about his goodness. I want to, I want to take it back. I do learn great things about it. But oftentimes it's in my head, not in my heart. Job says in Job 42, it says, after all of the suffering, Job says, I heard you with my ears, and now I see you with my eyes. Think about your suffering. Think where God has, where God has allowed acute pain to touch your life. Is it not then, in a, in a very odd sort of way, that we experience God in ways that we can never experience otherwise. Just don't get it. In 2010, 2008, October, somebody turned the faucet off in business. Could not do business. Stacy, is that true? Doing great, blowing and going, doing awesome. God's blessing. And then, boom, it stopped. I didn't get paid for a year and a half. Still had bills. Still had an office to maintain. Still had people to pay. To the point where we we were getting to the point where I look at my checking and I'm going, Jen, we need to have a serious conversation because we don't have enough in any place to pay for our mortgage that's going to happen in two weeks. We don't have enough money, period. And I had a very serious conversation with God. Saying, God, what? why me? That's my first Initial thought. Why now? And I wake up. Everybody, every man in here, I'm sure, is woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning going, my, my, my family is better off with me, with my insurance policy, than they are with me. I'm worth more dead than alive. I've felt that many a time during that time. And my, I had someone say, well, you know, just put things on credit. And you'll get through this hard time. And my thought was, and I grappled with this. I'm not saying there's nothing, there's anything wrong with that. But I was grappling with that. And, and the thing that came into my mind is going, so are, am I saying that Chase Bank is more faithful 
than my Father. Abba, Father, Abba, God. Is that true? If that's true, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That cannot be true. And that's where I had a very honest conversation with God. And it was not it was not a pointing of the finger. It was just, God, I need to see your glory. I need to see it demonstrated in very tangible ways. Now I got a call from this guy out of Birmingham. And he asked to see the worst piece of property I've got in my inventory. And I'm thinking at the time, I'm going, please, I don't want to waste the gas to go to Verbena. I don't want to waste the time. And yet he wants to see this place. And we go, and it's half underwater and half clear cut. I sell land for a living, okay? And, and if anybody knows anything about sales, there's a pipeline. When you enter the pipeline, there's all this stuff that has to happen before you actually get a check. And for me, that was usually 90 days. And so here's this guy wants to go see a really lousy piece of property that's overpriced. It will not sell. That's at the end. It, there's no road to it. There's nothing. I mean, it's, it's a mile off the road. There's no way to get to it other than building a road. And I'm going, I'm just throwing up my hands going, this is crazy. But he wants to go see it. We go to it. He poured a mouse it. I, I play the salesman. Well, there's great qualities about this place. Going to my heart, you're actually right. This is really lousy. I wouldn't touch it. Um, and then he says, I want to make an offer on it. All right? Go to the, the owner. Bottom line is we negotiate that. They can't come to a deal. The lady calls. They say no. Everybody's parting ways. I'm going, what a waste of time. The next morning I get a call from the lady. says, she's a believer. He's a believer. And she says, I, I had this dream about this guy last night. I really believe I need to sell this land to him. Really? Yeah. For what? At his price. Is that okay? In my heart, I'm going, yes! You know? <laughs> but, in, but in myself, I'm going, well, you know, we can, re- you know, we can negotiate, maybe try to get you more money. He says, no, no, we need to do it. So he says yes. She says yes. He says yes. That's still 90 days, usually. Because you have to survey the land. You have to survey an easement to get to the land, build all this stuff, get financing. We go to him. The bottom line is, he's got financing. He doesn't need money. I talked to the surveyor. They said, yes. We, We've done business with you for a long time. We can do it over the weekend. Guys, I had a check in my hand in a week and a half, three days before my mortgage. I don't learn the lesson of God's provision outside of that. It's a painful experience, but God teaches a lesson that you learn viscerally, not just intellectually, not crossing my T's and dotting my theological I's, but I learn it. He is who he says he is, and he demonstrates his power. He doesn't do that always in that way, but he's faithful. He can do it. God, may we, may we be like Job. I heard you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. Why? What does he want us to believe? John 6.35 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, Come, whoever thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Without money, without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in the riches of foods. That we may believe that God is enough. 
we may believe that God is enough. Not that God plus my job. God plus my kids. God plus my wife. God plus my bank account. But that He is enough. And that we can be walk with Him. Draw confidently to Him. And every need will be met. Because He is the Good Shepherd. He is our Abba Father. So that His name would be made great. So what do we go from here? How do we get, how do we do this? One, remember that God is sovereign over your suffering. Job, when Job suffered, Satan had to get permission to attack Job. When Pete, when Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked that he may sift you like wheat. Satan has to go and get permission to do that. Everything that touches our lives has to flow from the hands, through the hands of God. He does not cause evil, but He allows things to touch us. Can we, like that infant, look at Him and go, Papa, why are you allowing this to happen? And yet, He says, Do you believe, Martha? Do you believe, Neil? Do you believe, Kevin? Do you believe, Tim? Yes, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Because I don't know if I always believe that you're enough. Help me in my unbelief. Make your name great in my life. Demonstrate your majesty in my life. Remember that God cares for you in your suffering. He has been there. He identifies with every aspect you've ever suffered. Remember that He will not tempt you or test you belong beyond what you can bear. And remember the reward. First Peter 5 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, unmerited faith, the God of all grace who allows you to suffer, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. For your good, for his glory. Lastly, when I was about 24 years old, I was down in Dothan. I was meeting with a group of men, one of whom was a guy named Jim Reed. I was talking to Jim one, after, one day after the study. I said, now, Jim, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking for contacts in Dothan and that area. And, uh, and I said, Jim, you know, I'm looking for some men, older men, some mentors in my life. Could you recommend any? And I'm thinking, Jim, could you recommend the most successful, wealthiest, godliest men in this community that I can get to know so that I may be like them? And he was a long pause. He said, Neil, be careful what you're looking at. He said, don't look for the man who's the shining star. He looks like he's got everything together. And he tells the story of, jo- of Jacob when he meets God at the when he meets Angel at the um, at the at the uh, little brook there at Be- uh, Jabbok. And all of his life he had he had been a self-made man, and God had taken away bits and pieces 
until he brings him to this point. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's going to lose at least half his family. He's not looking for a fight. He's looking to survive, and yet God picks a fight with him and wrestles with him all night long. He said, Neil, Jacob doesn't win that battle. Jacob is wrestling for his life. And finally, Jacob, the angel says, let go. Jacob doesn't let go. Not until you bless me. He touches his hip, dislocates it. I cannot let go unless you bless me. And then he changes his name. God changes his name. And he said, Neil, the rest, we don't hear much. We, we, we see Jacob. The last thing we ever hear about Jacob is in Hebrews. It's a great hall of faith. And he said, Jacob leaned on his staff as he worshipped God. Leaned on his staff as he worshipped God. He said, Neil, <clears throat> don't look for that shining star. Look for the man who walks with a limp because he has met God face to face. And he knows him. And he worships him. Follow that man. He might actually have something worthwhile to say. So let me encourage you. If you're going through suffering, or when you do go through suffering, remember He's a God of all gods, King of all kings, that is with you all along the way, that is in control of your suffering, who identifies with your suffering, who loves you and cares for you and wants to produce something greater in you that could never be produced outside of suffering. Depend on Him. And know that He is enough. He's enough. Let me pray for us. <coughs> Father, Forgive me for being long-winded. May your Spirit dwell with us. Thank you for your patience with us. We just don't get it. Thank you for your kindness in letting pain touch our lives. By faith we say that. We do not like it. We do not want to experience But thank you, Father. And may we be like Job when you took everything away, he fell on his face and he worshipped you. And he said that you've given, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. And may we know you and see your face. In Jesus' name, amen.